All right, let's do this. Let's go. Let's let's make this let's make this happen. In a world where writers, directors, producers, and actors are all fighting to get their films made, comes a podcast that gets into it like no other podcast has ever gotten into it before. So this summer, hang on to your laptops because this time there's no rewrite. Starring Mark Ice Roberts, Rod Tuddy Ranks. And on the ones and twos, Justin Wings Nichols. Let's get into it. Rated R. Under 17. Not permitted without a parent. <laughs> Shall we go? Let's yeah. do it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Let's Get Into It. We've been getting into it. I feel like we have been getting into it pretty hard. Yeah. Guess you know? what I found today? What? My release. Oh, okay. So all your talents signed. Okay, but great. then I got to do the other one with the crew. I'm a big fan of the, of everything I've seen on your movie. I think it looks pretty good. Um, we're going to be getting into it with Clay Epstein today. He's a foreign distributor. I'm excited about this. Clay, I got a lot of questions. Thank friend. you. Well, let's introduce Thank him. You. Ladies and gentlemen, Thank you. Clay Epstein. Thank you. What, what is the name of your company? Film Mode Entertainment. Right. That's a that's, that's a name. mouthful. It is a mouthful. I thought about that. Did I tell are there emails when you were starting your company where you emailed me the name and I said that should not be the name Probably. of your company? Probably. I delete the email. Okay, got Wait, it. I like that Anything name. I don't Phil- like. Yeah, you but like it? I like Film Thank Mode. Why, why, why not? See why how you I focused like in on what you said. Like, you, well, the you channel, like well, because he's positive over okay. here. <laughs> Thank you. No, the channel, Clay, <laughs> you know this guy very well because you know what? Bam, whoa, right off the bat. We'll get into that in a moment. Everyone should know the full disclosure. But I had right. a list of names for a company, and every amazing name I came up with, some videographer who did weddings in Wisconsin had <laughs> taken this name. Yeah. Right. But so I kept working down the list, but I kept coming back to film mode. I yeah. like it. Film mode. It but, is a bit of a handful, but well, it's but it's a you, mouthful man. because you've yeah. got film and then you got mode. We say up. FME now. See, oh, we're so good. well oh, known now. Yeah. yeah, we're so huge. You FME. just say FME, right? Yeah, it's kind of like FNG. You know what FNG is? <laughs> I don't think I want to. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that one, Robert. When the smile comes on the face after we, uh, before the punchline, you know, it's he something. starts laughing before the punchline. <laughs> yeah. But you know, this uh, Clay, this podcast is all about inspiring people to make movies and to do uh, i'll see you tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) exactly we're gonna disappoint a lot of people today but um but it's a disappointment it was disappointing it's about we'll see okay um (laughs) we really like to give people a lot of information so it's rare when you get a foreign distributor who sells movie and you've been doing this for years and years and years how long have you been a foreign distributor uh well i i went to film school uh, which is not always common for Where'd you go? In my, to Cal State Northridge. Yeah. I, I'm local Which, kid. by the way, is a great yeah. college. Uh, Paul Buccieri, who's the president PTA, of Annie, went, went, went there. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of great people came Eva out Eva Mendez. Did she Eva go there? Went to high school with her and college with Did her. You, she was yeah. from Glendale, right? Yeah. Oh, okay, so you didn't local. make a connection there, that, obviously. Uh, we, made a, we made a connection, yeah. and that's it. Yeah, just, yeah, that was it. Okay. That's Enough said. <laughs> yeah. The last time I saw her was in Cal State Northridge. So you didn't know her? Yeah, was she an acting major? No. Oh, okay. That's the thing. She, That's the thing. Right? She never. I was in. I was the drama geek. Right. In junior high and high school, doing all the plays, making a fool out of myself. Right. And she was a successful cheerleader. 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> so you, I like that successful right. writer. But I went to film school and yeah. I wanted to be a filmmaker, and I admire you, uh, Teddy, Fine. because I did listen to uh, the podcast last week because I knew what you were talking about getting him getting releases for the talent. Right. So I did listen to the podcast. And okay. uh, was it was impressed. So See, Robert, it's not just my mom. Yeah, proud to be no. here. I know it's two of us. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but no, I went to film school, Surprising. and I wanted to to become a filmmaker, and and tried my hand at directing and writing, and I realized I didn't have the patience, and that was a very difficult reality uh, to accept. Right, because it took a few years. You know, I graduated, uh, got a job in distribution. You know, just as an assistant. Yeah. Uh, started getting a, an idea of the world of sales, distribution, finance, marketing. And I kept thinking, yeah, but I'm going to be a filmmaker. So this is just the day job. Did you ever make a movie? I made a really, really shitty short film. Uh-huh. Then I made a really, really shitty feature. Wow. And then I made another really, really shitty short film. So you're you're due for a good one. So now I'm due. <laughs> you're due. You're due. It's well, never nowhere too late. to go but up. But I but I did enough of the production to appreciate it, uh, have a good background in creative, and really respect filmmakers. And it you know it enables me to have a somewhat of a decent conversation with writers and directors in my current job because I do a lot of executive producing as well. And with that responsibility comes those conversations with writers and directors and editors and. Uh, not just on the business side, but on the creative side as well. And I enjoy that now. Yeah. Now I can enjoy to be able to give back, but I don't have the patience to be on set for four, five, six weeks. I like to go for a day, half yeah. a day, a little bit of craft services, <laughs> say hi, you know, take a few photos and then tell everyone that I was on set. Yeah, but you know, Clay, you could. I did my whole movie in seven days, a feature. Ten grand, right? Nine thousand six hundred. That's right. I, I that's, listened to the podcast. That's right. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, you so, four hundred bucks left over then for a rap party. So it's ten, but at the end of the day, it's probably going to be somewhere around fifteen to eighteen. I'm somewhere. probably going to throw out something really boring you didn't budget for. What's that? Really boring insurance. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, it's in there. It's in yeah. there. Three yeah. grand, four grand. That, that is something that a lot of a lot of first second time filmmakers that they forget to budget properly for post. Yeah. and for deliverables. Well, he no, he's been on me like. But so. you did everything, right? Everything. Because I and that I could relate to because all those shitty films that I did. Yeah. Um, that was frustrating because you end up doing almost everything, if yeah. not everything, right? Yeah, 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 pretty much. But how long ago did you make your film? Uh, the last time I did anything myself as director, yeah, uh, was was probably two thousand and three, maybe. Okay, so yeah, I'd have to go back. Yeah, let, let's say early two thousands. Yeah, so you probably XL one. I bought an XL one to make the movie. Yeah, right. Then I started renting it out after I made the movie. Yeah, well, we shot on a Sony Seven, this camera that could shoot at night. It's awesome, and it was on a gimbal, and so we were able to like we weren't repoing a lot, and we were getting like looking at the dailies. Without color correcting, it looks awesome. And camera movement. See, we had to rent a dolly. I remember yeah. going to rent a truck to go rent the dolly. Yeah. The you ch- can definitely, there's more movies being made, rather or not anyone's going to see them, but there are way more movies being made because yeah. the that, I guess, gate of accessibility yeah. is wide open. Whereas before when you had film, you could only make a movie if you could afford the camera, the film, and then had a skilled person working it, loading yeah. it filming it, and then processing the film. Yeah. So that filtered out an enormous amount of people because they physically and financially could not do it. Yeah. And the floodgates are open because yeah. technically and physically anyone could go make a film. Yeah. 
And uh, that, and I'm happy to talk more about that. But that's there are just thousands and thousands and thousands of films out there that will may or may never ever get seen. Yeah. Uh, case in point, Davy Dave, who's in the studio here, he's been recording on his iPhone with an anamorphic lens and at 4K, 24. So that frames is better per second. by. Uh, than million most miles than, the than any, than any <laughs> camera I ever used. Yeah. And yeah. that's an iPhone. There you go. Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> I don't regret one minute of all my experience trying to become a filmmaker or working in production because that experience was fantastic and it's made me who I am today. But luckily the decision came early enough in my career that I had the time that's the thing. and the years yeah. to build on it and, and kind of have a trajectory that has enabled me to accomplish what I've have done today and to continue still have years ahead of me. To... Yeah. What was the first company you worked so this, for? So first company I worked for, full disclosure, was actually yours, Mark. Oh. And wow, do you remember? remember? Of course I remember. <laughs> so uh... <laughs> Lorena David, what was the company? It was, I think we were called, called King Ra- Size Entertainment at the time. Writer's Block. Oh, wow. Did you work for Writer's yeah, Block? Yeah, so you hired me. as I was, I was just out of high school. I wasn't even 21 because Mark's, I think Mark's first job for me was to plan his birthday party at a bar. And I literally <laughs> couldn't go, I couldn't go to the party. <laughs> nice, so I had, Robert. To, I had to make the flyer yeah, and Xerox him off, but I couldn't go to the party because I wasn't 21. Um, that was my 30th, right? Must have been your 30th. Yeah, yeah. That was a good party. Yeah. Clay worked for me and, and Lori yeah. at Writer's Block. You had the Avid. Yeah, this is a really actually this is this is a good sidebar because I think people will really appreciate it. When I first got into the business, I had already owned a casting company for seven years. I had done extras casting and five line and undercasting for years in movies. Yeah, and I sold that company and I became a producer. Then I realized I don't know that I can survive being a producer. Like, there's no way it's not going to happen, right? So, um, Lorena David, my partner, and I said, you know, there's these new things, these new systems called Avid. And their nonlinear editing systems. Um, if we buy two of them for two hundred and fifty-seven thousand dollars each, yeah. No, I'm sorry, total. Okay, for both. Say, for both, they were each like about one hundred and ten, one hundred and thirty. Yeah. So we bought we we bought at least two of them, and would rent them out for twenty-five hundred dollars a week, uh, so that we can support ourselves while we developed movies. And the first movie we developed was. Plump Fiction, which Clay, you were in the office when we sold that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. And then, and I worked on a TV show you did for the Spanish language television. Oh yeah, called Excesso. Yeah, yeah, and that was great. That was a great experience. I would drive around town with the director and the crew, and uh, I was I was the everything: the driver, the grip, everything. Laura used to get really pissed uh, at you and I because we would sit there and talk about movies for hours in the office. Yeah. We'd just sit there and like have like these deep conversations. No, it was about- Brock, Mark was Mark. That was my first job, and I owe a lot to you, Mark. Appreciate it. Really? And, uh, Thank you. And I decided to still stay in the industry despite uh, working for you. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I but I learned a lot, and yeah. I was young, and I was like, I made it in Hollywood. I'm driving around town doing errands for Mark Roberts. I've made it. We made it, we made it look easy made, though, right? Yeah. We made it look easy. Yeah. We had fun. But hey, I came to Roberts too when I first got here. Really? Yeah, I, I wanted to be in movies. He's like, well, what does that mean? I go, I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> He's like, well, you got to figure out what you want to do in movies. I said, okay. He was like, I'm here. Click. Yeah. I want to give you a compliment. You were, uh, you were really stand up. You were a great um, assistant. You did everything we asked, and I think we asked you to do way more than just assistant work. You were sort of handling crews and 
had a lot of responsibility, and you did a you did a really great job. And I and I liked hanging out with you. To be you honest, you had a great I, time hanging out. I thought we yeah. uh, I thought we became really good, good friends, and we had a really good time. Well, and, considering this is twenty years ago, yeah. <laughs> I, right? think so talking, we, we, I think we're talking about twenty years ago yeah, at least. So. Clay, Clay yeah. and I go to lunch probably I don't know a couple times a year, yeah. maybe more, and yeah. we always meet at. The Beverly Hills Hotel. I love Cabana. going to the polo lounge when someone else is paying. Oh, you know, okay, you know what? I'm gonna. He's been telling me for years. This is literally who I mostly years. Go with. And, so and one and, of these days we're gonna go. One of these days it's so nice. I have my meeting. To, he's telling I'm, you how amazing. He's telling me, and I'm like, when are we gonna go? Oh, one of these days. When, when, when's this day gonna come? Soon. You soon. see, that's they're what like, I get. For like mini soon. vacations. They're <laughs> yeah. like mini vacations. But it's beautiful there. Clay and I go there. We talk business and about and about life. But um, but it but, was it was. I appreciate. I mean, Mark really, you know, gave me the intro to the industry and the business. I appreciate it. Yeah. But I guess to answer your question that you asked me about 45 minutes ago. Yeah, where did you start? Was uh, my first job out of film school was a company called Kushner Locke. Yeah. They were a big company, a big staple in the independent space. Who ran that company? Was Peter was Locke and Donald Kushner. And Donald Kushner. And they went public. That's you know, right. they, they went public. And so I went in as a PA, got a job as a PA, answering phones, doing runs. I was a Hollywood runner. I, I was... I felt so important. Yeah. And they'd give us these pagers, and we, they'd page us our next errand, and dropping off scripts, and dropping off cash to Alfonso et al, because he was owed another 10 grand in yeah. cash, so I'm, you know, <laughs> thinking he'd slip me 50, and he doesn't, you know, doesn't, <laughs> basically. <laughs> basically, basically right. <laughs> I had a great time, and I just, you know, I figured, you know, I wanted to be in this business. So all I wanted to do was be in the movies, be around the movies. I grew up in L.A., and I just knew from an early age, it's all I wanted to do was somehow be connected with Hollywood and the movies and, and entertainment. And you did. Um, and I just, and you I did. just stuck with it then. Yeah. You know, I just, I saw every, every job and every moment as a, as an opportunity to just kind of keep going, keep building, keep, yeah. keep learning. So let's yeah. fast forward a little bit. So you do, you, you, you work with me, uh, you work at some other companies. What sparked the interest in foreign distribution? So at Kushner Lock, after about a year and a half or two years, I think I was in the marketing department at this at this point, and uh, the head of international, who I'm still friends with today, uh, comes to me and he says, "Your boss is going to be fired this week." I said, "Oh, really? <laughs> is that true? How do you know?" He's like, "Trust me, your boss is going to be fired." But my assistant just left, and I think you'd be great if you came over to be my assistant. And here I was with this great opportunity in front of me, but of course I'm thinking about it for a week because I still wanted to be the filmmaker. I'm thinking, oh, if I get further away from the creative, it's going to jeopardize my future. Uh, but I made the right decision. I accepted that offer and moved over to, and that was the sales and distribution department. That was the, the job it was. Were you required to go to markets? Yeah. yeah. So my first American film market was at that job. Uh -huh. So 1999 or 2000 was my first AFM. So that was my first introduction to the world I'm in today, right. international sales, domestic sales, foreign distribution, mm. basically all distribution in the independent space, how 99% of films and, and a lot of television gets distributed around the world. Right. So let's yeah. paint a picture right now for people who are listening and for people who uh, are making movies and want to distribute them. The American film market or any market, but let's stick with the American film market. You would go there and as you walk past these suites, you would see full-on displays of movies that had been produced and were available for sale all over the world. Right? right. So you go in, it's at the Lowe's Hotel, and they take over the hotel. The beds come out, 
and companies like myself go in and they create a temporary office for that week. And it's a trade show, but instead of in a convention center, they're using the hotel as the convention center. So we go and rent the room for a a week, and we go in there with furniture and movie posters, and we're showing trailers on television, televisions, and we schedule appointments with independent distributors from all over the world that come to L.A., and we have back-to-back meetings throughout the week, presenting them our films that are available for them to license for their territory. License meaning they can acquire the light, the... IP and the distribution rights for their territory might be Germany, France, territory. I mean, a country. Right. Usually it's a country, a group of countries. And let's do some right. real talk here, okay? If you're a filmmaker and you sign with Clay at Best film decision mode, you could make. <laughs> at film mode, and he has your movie, as people are setting up meetings with his company, they go to his suite where they sit down, there's drinks, there's finger foods. There's a television and there's him and a really nice little place to sit down and do business. He shows you the trailer of your movie to people from all over the world. Yeah. And they go, how much? And Clay says this much. And they say, okay, yeah, great. Uh, yes or no. Or they counter and he negotiates a deal for your movie in one country at a time. So when Clay's done with the American film market, for instance, he may have made a deal with 10 different countries. For your film. Now, I don't want to mislead people and I don't want to say something out of school, but for the most part, if someone, if a filmmaker puts their film with you or any foreign distributor, it doesn't necessarily mean that you won't sell domestic, which means here in the United States, but for the most part, you guys handle foreign, not domestic, right? Film mode handles the world, including domestic. So we pride on, pride ourselves on having great relationships with U.S. distributors and Canadian distributors. Mm. Most of the time, you sell a film to a U.S. company that buys North America, but we have split it up between U.S. and Canada. That's not the case with every company, and because of how a finance structure might have been put together, the U.S. rights might not be available when it comes to the sales agent. And in that instance, then we would only represent internationals. But if a film is clean and there's no distribution in place when it comes to us, most of the time we'll even insist on representing domestic because the strategy needs to be cohesive. It didn't always work as, it wasn't always as important in previous years, but it is so important for it to be cohesive today because of the piracy on the internet, because of how much the foreign distributors rely on the U.S. domestic plan and strategy, and also because of how more and more companies are buying additional territories. So it's not unusual now to sell a few foreign territories to the U.S. distributor. Maybe they sell it to Netflix. Maybe they sell it to Amazon. Maybe they have a distribution partner in other countries. Everyone's trying to find added value for their investments because in general, it's tough right now. It's tough for the independents. You know, Mm -hmm. you see the consolidation, you see the monopolization, you see the companies that are, that the big corporate companies and studios and platforms and internet companies that have their hands in everything, all the way from production all the way to the consumer and beyond, mm. which leaves the independent very little room to move. And, and you know, we're kind of like, you know, waiting for the, the rainwater to, to run off the gutter so we can have a little bit, you know. Now, yeah, I mean, now the market in 2000 is was very different. Completely, completely. Today. Yeah, completely different. There was 
Was would you say there was a lot more sales of independent film? Completely overseas? different market. The independent market back in the early two thousands and before was phenomenal. And I didn't because I wasn't in a stage of my career back then that I am now. I really didn't get the benefit from it. But I have you know old friends that are mentors of mine and and previous generations that did benefit from it. But the it was an, it was amazing back in the eighties and nineties and the early two thousands because of video. Right. VHS, yeah. the piracy was different. There wasn't online piracy. And there were video rental stores all over the world, and there was Blockbuster, and there was this need for content. And so you have you hear all these stories of of sales agents and producers just making a flyer and selling the world for ten times what the cost of the film was gonna was gonna right. be. And that was a model. Was that, that true? Yeah, but it's a model that doesn't exist today right. for for so many reasons we can get into. Um, but it right. was the video business that that sustained that model. I feel like I was on the tail end of it when I did uh, Plum Fiction, which you you were there for. Um, Mark Damon picked it up, took it foreign, and it, there was a article in Variety or Reporter or something saying like he had sold out the world and you know this little movie that was made for $700,000 had made like 3.8 million dollars. We like our press releases. Right. In foreign sales. I don't think we ever saw any money. I think we had to sue that company, MDP, to to make anything, but it's it's highly disappointing to me that you want to make movies, you want to sell your movies. Sometimes it doesn't matter how big your movie is, you feel like you're doing something special and something great. Yeah. Um and it doesn't always work out that way um foreign distribution is a big part of making your investors go it's a big part of you getting a return on your uh on your money if you're investing in film there are genres that don't travel and this is really important for independent filmmakers to understand there are genres that just are difficult to sell to the world and what are those clay well when you think about it the type of story and the type of film that's going to travel, that's going to speak to an audience, regardless of their culture, their language, uh, and their society, possibly. Um, that's why horror films, action, thriller, mm. and star-driven films work everywhere in the world, because they don't have to become with any cultural boundary. Right? They're not restricted by cultural boundaries. If a car is chasing someone, everyone understands that. Um, so the dramas, the comedies are tougher yeah. to get distributed internationally. And even if you look at comedies that the studios make or, or studio-like comedies, they all have A-level cast. So it's very rare that you see a comedy that gets out there and distributed with cast that's not really well-known. Because even at a big level, at a higher-level budget, you still need that huge cast to get the comedy through. Um, and, of course, comedy is all cultural. And the other thing to think about, those genres, the comedy and drama, you know, every country in the world almost now has their own production. All those reasons we talked about, the the, the barrier to production that doesn't exist today yeah. has also enabled, you know, industry to flourish all over the world. So countries have great local comedies all over the world that have their own stars in their own language yeah. The budgets are cheaper. The production company slash distributor owns the world, not just a slice of the world. They now own the world in perpetuity, and they know exactly 
what is going to speak to their audience. And so when we're selling an English language drama or comedy, it's very difficult. We're now competing with their own local versions. Right. So if, you know, the, the, the typical type of film that the distributors are looking for from the independent space is very, very commercial, mainstream commercial films that look and feel and smell like a studio film from the 90s, right? Mm. Uh, that's probably the most um, preferred film and, and, and the easiest to get sold internationally. And second would be just amazingly well-made films. And that's a huge difference from that heyday of the 80s and 90s where execution wasn't as important. Right. And it was this false sense of security of how strong the market in the film world was. Look at all these movies that are being sold and distributed everywhere in the world. Well, it was like um, recently, the only thing I can think about recently that reminded me of the 90s was Sharknado. You could, you could have like all of these types of movies that were uh, like Tarantulas or Sharknado. Like there was probably 10, 20, 30 right. of those types of films that were doing extremely well right. in the 90s market. Sci-Fi Channel um, licensing it really financed those films. And then the sales agent that was producing and representing the rights was then able to retain international and sell the other rights. And, who, so, and the guy who was making all those is still doing extremely well. It's Avi Lerner, right? Well, Avi Lerner didn't do Sharknado, but no. Avi Lerner... Wait a minute, he didn't? No. Who did Sharknado? Um, so Sharknado was done by the Asylum. Yeah. They do and, all the Sharknado films. Right. And they did extremely well with that. And it became sort of like a cult thing. Yeah. People just loved hating yeah, it. Yeah, it was right? TV. It was TV here in the U.S. And they sold, they would sell those films everywhere internationally. Did they do well? Yeah. I mean, yes, they did. I don't know the numbers, but they weren't theatrical movies. No, no. Right. They were still TV numbers. Yeah. So they maybe got made for a million bucks and made a couple million dollars. Right. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, it's a, I think Courtney was in one. Bernie Lopez? Yeah, she played like a reporter. I didn't know that. And that Lopez was asked to be in one, but he, he said no. He was it was it was below him. Well, I don't know. If, I don't know. I think he was. <laughs> I think he was doing something else. He couldn't do it. But I remember he he said, "Should I do this?" I said, "Yeah." They really I? squeezed those budgets yeah. on those on those films. Um, but today, execution more than ever is the most important thing. So, doing a movie that's executed well. Still won't get any traction overseas unless it gets some traction in the in the U.S. Right? I mean, if if no one's in it, or or you have some names in it, and it does it gets some heat here at some festivals, and people are writing about it and, and and win some awards, then you've got something to sell overseas. But if you just show up with a well made movie with decent actors in it overseas, and you're like, this is great, do they recognize that as financially uh, important? If they, if the distributors are being offered every film that's out there, and there are an enormous amount of films, if you go to AFM or a trade show like AFM, you will just be overwhelmed by the sheer amount of films for sale. Right. And the distributors don't need all of those films for various reasons. There just isn't the need for so much anymore. Then they are going to cherry pick the best of the best of the mm -hmm. best. But who watches them? How do you figure out what's good? Do they have to take your word for it? Yeah, they take my word for it. Everything I say, <laughs> everything I say is correct. I mean, we, we look, we, when we look at acquisitions, what to acquire and also what to get involved in, because a lot of the films we're involved in aren't made yet, right? right? As, as an executive producer and then as, uh, as part of the team to help get a film financed and made and have that 
discussion with the writer about is there ways to make the script more attractive to the international foreign place? Is there a way to make the edit more attractive? So I go through this a lot. I spend a lot of time now in my career, now that I have a team and a company and I don't have to do everything. Like how you did everything on yeah. set, I had to do everything for the company the first year, right? Yeah. Um, so and, and in my career, I've had to do everything. So I have a lot of respect for every position there is. But in my most of my time now is spent on the phone or in meetings with producers I'm either working with or I might be working with. Right. And those conversations are everything about the edit, the script, a sales strategy. Do you do the festival circuit? Which festivals do you go after? Mm. What is the trailer or promo going to look like? What's the poster going to look like? And most of the time, there isn't 100% cohesive uh, sensibility amongst the team. But my perspective is always coming from, do you want the best chance at getting distribution in the most amount of countries? That's still and pretty And if the creative. answer is yes, yeah. then I try and convince them to listen to me. But it's always it's always a conversation and it's always uh, you always have to kind of come to a balance and a compromise. Um, but we actually, the last uh, year, we actually updated a clause in our contracts with filmmakers because we know how important uh, three elements are to the film's success. Title, trailer, and poster. Right. Damn. And if we don't have control over that, then we will reserve the right to change our estimates on what the value of the film is. That's right. how that's how strongly we believe how important those three elements are. And if a filmmaker is having a hard time changing a title or agreeing to our promo and poster, then we can reserve we reserve the right to say, okay, we told you an idea of the value six months ago, but if now you're not going to let us use the marketing we want, we we may change that value. Right. So it may you may make half a lower. Of, yeah, lo, right. lower what that, you were trying to make. Right. But that's all. The, like as a filmmaker, if you tell me that look, I could do we could do this for your movie, but you got to do this. I'm I would be like, let's do it. Filmmaking and an independent level is very much a col- a collaborative effort. I'm cool with that. There's no ego here. Let's, That's let's, pretty good. Yeah. So hang on. So I, I need to get to like a few things here before we get uh, off track. So if I'm a young filmmaker and I'm making a movie for whatever, whatever amount I'm making it, would you be open to a phone call or an email about what I'm doing? And would you respond? I get emails and I get those phone calls and the Facebook messages as well. Mm-hmm. I try to respond to as many as I can. Mm-hmm. So what if Tootie contacts you and says, I just did a movie with Lilo and Lebron. made in Mexico, made in Mexico. Made in Mexico. I told you I was listening to the last yeah. podcast. Yeah. But, if, but if you weren't listening to the podcast and he sends you an email and you don't know anything about him and he says, Mario Lopez exec producing, would you consider? Yes. And I tell you the best way to get us to look at something, even if we don't know you, and even if we don't get back to you, we will look at it is a promo of what you're working on. Okay, good. Okay. That's the best way because it's much easier to ask someone to watch 90 seconds yeah. than it is to want to read a two hour, to read a script and take two hours to read a script or even a treatment. Yeah. Uh, and especially if it's a first time or second time filmmaker or a filmmaker we're not uh, experienced with, yeah. familiar with, the best way is to show us 90 seconds because right there you see production value, yeah. what they're capable okay, of, what so the that's genre number is, one. what yeah. the title is. So that's number one. Number yeah. one, if you're a filmmaker and you've done your movie, uh, whatever it costs. Get a professionally cut promo. Get a professionally Don't, cut promo. If you just bought the app on your phone and you've never used it before, but it says you can edit, 
chances are it's not going to look slick and professional. Okay, so save a little bit of you money. Spend to all get that a time and effort to go make a movie. Spend a little bit more. Get a photographer. Get an editor. Okay, those get are the a, two yeah. bits of advice. Get a photographer. Get an editor, and you will watch the promo, and then say maybe, maybe not. Okay, so good. That's one. If you're an independent filmmaker and you've not been distributed, and you're sort of a new filmmaker. Don't contact anyone in, at the. Point I would of the reach. Out, I would reach out. There are websites and there are consultants that will, you know, you pay them a fee and they'll read the script and give you professional coverage and feedback. We're not going to do that because you don't have time. We don't have the time. Pitch decks, pitch decks, log line, short sum, uh, short synopsis. So the uh, I taught a class at UCLA Extension just recently. Okay. And the final assignment was a pitch deck. Okay. And I got tons of pitch We decks. talked a lot about that, and I got some amazing ones submitted, some really impressive ones. Okay. And I, I, w- I would say to the students, know who your audience is that's going to look at it. Okay. So if it's a pitch deck for someone like myself, 10 pages max, keep it simple. We just need the bullet points and yep. some imagery, who's who. Yep. If it's to an investor, a potential investor, you have to have more of the budget. You have to have the breakdown of the investor share. Yeah. Etc. Those decks might be longer, but yes, pitch deck is great. Yeah, those are very commonplace. Okay, good, good, awesome. Um, <laughs> hang on, this is important. Um, let's say you're a filmmaker and you've actually gotten someone to invest five hundred to a million dollars. It happens. Sometimes you get lucky. You meet the right people. You got a million dollars. You've got your script. Now, I'm pretty sure if I call you and say I've got money and I've got the script. And I'd like to work with you so that I don't lose all this money. Who would be good cast for me to put in this so that I can have value overseas? Would that be a conversation you'd be willing to have? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. And we have that conversation all the time. There and, you our, go. and our valuation, our analysis of the value goes up and down depending on who the cast might be. So would you make, so if I had a million bucks and I was saying, hey, Clay, please help me do this. Would you help me by making a list of casts? Yeah, if if we if it's a project that we that you are interested sell. in yeah. and it's a producer we have a good feeling about or someone we've worked with before, then absolutely that's part of the EP work that we do and part of the partnership. Would you, if I've got a million bucks and I'm not a producer of note, would you team me up with somebody that would help help us make this? If the if I felt the project warranted it, yes. Because you're going to need someone to, even if it's just to make the offers to the cast. Yeah. You know, the one thing that some of uh, some first or second time filmmakers might not realize about cast is that talent is only doing a film or a TV show for, you know, several reasons. It's either a payday, it's a director they want to work with, it's to stretch their acting chops, or it's to win an award. Yeah. And it's usually one of those reasons. If you don't have an answer to one of those reasons and you're an unknown and you're calling up the agent to make an offer, the chances of your offer even getting past the assistant's desk is very, very slim. Right. Because you have to think that that actor is getting offers from an enormous amount of places. That agent has to filter through which ones to present to their client. They're going to be chasing the high paydays from Netflix or Amazon and then looking at the, the feature films that are a director they want to work with, ones that stretch their acting chops or having a chance at winning an award, or it's a payday. Yeah. And a lot, you know, most of the opportunities probably get to an assistant's desk. Then the assistant has to filter down what they may send to their boss. And then the agent has to filter down to what they want to present to their client. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that, so the personal connection to talent is so important, even more so today when the talent are in such high demand. Everyone 
in the in the independent space right now is complaining how difficult it is to get talent because of Netflix and Amazon. Yeah, and so much work. Really hard to get, right, because there's so much work and it's high, highly paid. High paid yeah. So connection, personal connection to the talent is so important to get to them. Yeah. So there's there's uh, there it is. So if you're a filmmaker and you have a script and it's commercially viable and you come to Clay or any foreign distributor and they say, you know what, we sort of like this, we think it could work, here's some adjustments I would make, and if you are willing, here's the cast that would help this really sell overseas. You could literally go into a million-dollar movie with a very good game plan, with a potential, uh, if you go to upstate New York or you go to New Mexico or you go somewhere with incentives, you can get up to 35 40% of that, let's say 600000 of it, you get you get uh, 40% of that back, 30% of that back. Uh, you can give that back to your investor. And if you work with Clay or someone like Clay, or another foreign distributor, they could potentially pre-sell it if you get the right name or just finish it up and then you take it out to right, the market. Right. Pre-selling meaning we go sell the distribution rights before the film's made. The contract we sign with that distributor has a value, whatever that number is, and they take that piece of paper to a bank or an independent lender and that independent lender or bank cash flows it. So then they have the cash to go make the film. Which means that yeah. you could be, only, your investor could only be, let's just, I'm just going to use a small number just to be um, practical. Of a million dollars, you could have protected 50% of that mm. by working this way. Yeah. So it's not impossible. It's not very sexy. I'm going to tell you, I've never done it before. And I've been, I've made 18 films. I've never done it this way before because that's sexy to me. I don't like the hard work. <laughs> but you have the capability and a talent. Mark has a talent to raise equity, yeah. which other producers we work with have an ability to raise some equity, but they're very good at working the finance structure with soft money and subsidies. Those are the tax credits and subsidies in other countries. So a lot of the independent films today are not shot in America. They're shot in Canada UK, other parts of Europe. Bulgaria. Bulgaria has no subsidy, but it's cheap. Yeah. It's cheaper, so that's why they shoot them there. But all parts of Europe have subsidies. Canada, Australia has, you know, is very heavily subsidized. Yeah. So that whole finance structure, there's producers that have that down. They're brilliant. Down perfect. Yeah. And I'm very they jealous. tap into that. Yeah. But it also, when you, the more you think about it, and when you see the finance plans, the budget of the film is higher than the value of the film. Right. Right. And that's just a funny, strange reality of film financing today. Yeah. Uh, but Mark, you have a, an ability to raise equity, which is riskier in some ways, but simpler. It's very, it's very risky. It's a lot simpler. But it's a simpler. It's, it's much simpler. more exciting. It's like a trapeze without a net. Because we have to deal with lenders. You know, most of our films have a lender or a bank. Yeah. So you have to report to whoever gave the loan. Then and you got to pay for loan a bond. Fees and a yeah. bond film has to be bonded, and uh, it can get complicated. You spend a lot of time on the phone having conversations with the banks and lenders about the film and the results of the film, et cetera, which is fine. That's part of my job. But when yeah. it's equity only, yeah. um, the producer kind of deals with the equity players, and everyone else kind of does their job. Well, let's get yeah. back to how people, you know, how people out there can do their thing. If you have a million bucks. My suggestion is that you team up with a foreign distributor, get some advice about cast, and that way your investor thinks you're really smart. Hey, man, you're going to give me a million dollars, but I'm going to double check with a foreign distributor. Go to AFM. The smartest thing you could do is go to AFM. How much is it to go to AFM? 500. I almost went last year, but I didn't okay. have the money. What do you do? <laughs> well, tell them what you do. If, what do you do at So AFM? A, they have day passes and they have 
I guess week weekend passes. week passes or week and weekend passes. passes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's an investment. Yeah. I mean, it is has to be. You have to factor the cost in of attending these events as part of your job. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to be going this year. if you're going to be a professional and going to be making films, you have to go to AFM. You yeah. have to go to TIFF, and you have to go to CAN. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to go to one, it's got to it has to be AFM or CAN. Right. And if you're not attending these events, yeah. How do you expect to meet all the right people? Right. How do you expect to network and kind of get yourself into the industry and yeah. be taken seriously as a as a filmmaker yeah. if you're not at these events? See, I had a film, well, I I didn't go for the reason. I had a script that I wrote. I had some attachments. I had a potential investor and I had the script, but I didn't have like I feel now like I have a product, right? Like I actually have something that it's not me t- talking to people, pitching them a script. Oh, you got it. Okay, cool. That's a great idea. Yeah, you got the script. Okay, now I have a product that I could show them. Like you said, I could, I could, I'm gonna put together a trailer. I could, I have the poster already. How, how I want it done. In the artwork's the gonna be getting made pretty soon. I got, um, you know, I'm moving on this. So I now I feel like I could talk with people about something. Right, as you have something that's just, just tangible. Yeah, something tangible, tangible instead of just say, hey, I got this idea. But I got a the, script. Get, get the promo professionally. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be... No, he's got professionals. Slick. People Good. who work here at Extra Good. can do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but no, the title, I went back and forth on the title for like, you know, it took... First it was El Chingon Lives, then it went to Once Upon a Time in Tijuana, and then it ended up made in Mexico because the whole story is being made in Mexico. The guy gets made in Mexico. The cartel guy is Mexican. It, it, everything comes to life in Mexico. And when he comes home, he's a different man, you know? So... It's a great idea. Yeah. yeah you would love it because it's about a, a suburban dad who writes the modern-day Rocky. It's a good pitch. You've gotten really and, good at uh, pitching that. Good for you. Thank you. When's the film finished or it is finished? It's, I have one pickup day. And, and then you're going to submit it to festivals? It's a very pitch. unique platform and opportunity that, that Teddy has um, with one of his executive producers. I'm very curious to see how it works out. So you still have to work out all the other yeah. outlets. Yes. Hence so, why we're not going to let you leave until you make a deal with Titty. Uh, <laughs> Dude, I think really it's a breakout like... performance by Lilo. I really do. No, he took it to a whole different level. Do you know who players. Lilo is? No. Okay, tell him his credits. Uh, Bronx Tale. Did you see a Bronx Tale? Yes. The kid, C. Sure, yeah. The main guy. Yeah, so... Uh, he was, that was also his, in The he's Sopranos. Grown up. He's grown up. He, he was in... He, opposite Gene Hapman in uh, Crimson Tide. He was in Renaissance Man. Sure. He was in. Show him Rambos. a clip right now uh, while we're doing this. Show him a clip. I want to see the reaction right now, right here. Okay, well, I don't get any. Uh, it doesn't matter. Here. Hold don't, on. Okay, be I'm ready. Let's Hold do on. this. Me me we're going to do this right. You're on the spot right now here at Let's Get Into <laughs> here It. At let's Get Into It. We're going to get into it. Right it or now. not. Yeah, yeah. We get. We, <laughs> Acquisition meeting. We get into it right here. This is what this is all about. I got to I gotta tap on the Wi Fi. Yeah, go Hold ahead. on. Hey, on the Wi Fi? On the Wi Fi. Eat the data. It's worth it. Eat the, all right, all right. Let me find it. This is big, dude. This is big. I've waited my whole life for this moment. I can't mess it up. I'm watching right now. Um, all right, so Clay just watched a clip. All the dailies. of Lilo. Four, hours, four hours of dailies. <laughs> and now we're back. So, so what would you think? What's your opinion? Production of value was solid and uh, certainly better than I thought it would be for the budget of your film. Boom. Boom. And uh, what about yeah, the I want to see more. I, mean, I, saw, I saw Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I saw one clip, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So just two people talking, and it was focused on... Uh, on one but Lilo was character. bringing it. I yeah. thought I felt like oh, he yeah. was bringing it. Real. Right? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. yeah. No, it looked. It looked. No one. No one will know. And I wouldn't tell people the budget from here on. Too out. late, bro. Because, but there's no. I know it's great for the podcast. But after that, like yeah. once you get the film finished, yeah. you don't want to tell people the budget. 
Yeah. It's not going to help you at that point. For what you've spent, probably a lot of people are working for free. And you're still going to have to figure out the cost of post, insurance, yeah. sound mixing, you know, all the posts. Sound Clay, mixing. when he finishes the film, and it's great, and you see it and you're like, this is pretty good, can you sell it overseas and we cover the making back of this $15,000 movie? This could be really... This could be really cool. Would you be willing to do that if you like it? I'm not committing you to If I like yet. it, of course. Yeah. Because it'd be good to, on the podcast, bring him in every quarter after the sales festival and see, yeah. how did this little movie do? Well, I have to I do mean, the producer report on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, we'll do the producer report right here verbally. <laughs> it be all good news. That Portugal, 250000 Bam. Yeah. You're making this so enticing. <laughs> Come on, tell us what you will do. Yeah. Let's do this. I, I see where this is going. <laughs> And one part of me says, absolutely, let's sign the deal right now. Yes. Come on, Clay. And I'll come on every week and we can talk There we go. We can argue argue over the poster. Take it easy. (laughs) Uh, And then there's the other side of me that says, you know, a lot of films don't sell. Just because you make a movie doesn't mean you'll sell a movie. It doesn't mean a distributor has a place for the film or any way to release the film. But what I will promise to do do is to put together a strategy. Because the U.S. is one of the few territories you actually can distribute a film on your own. You may not make any money doing it, yeah, but you can do it. Have you heard of something called Distributor? Yeah, d- yes, and Distributor. Distribu- they yeah. actually do. There's a few companies that do what they do, yeah. But I believe they're a middle man, okay. And I would just introduce you to the actual company that oh, right, does right. it. What you need to work on and find a strategy for is even if your film was on iTunes and Amazon and Google Play, Sony, PlayStation. How are you going to market it? No one knows it's there. Yeah. Even if you log in to the platform, it may not, chances are it won't be on the homepage. Right. So how do you get it, how do you get an audience awareness and how do you get an audience to go and direct them to go watch? Yeah. You got to get a great promo, man. And you can do that before the film's done. You don't have to wait for the film to be edited. Right. Go hire a trailer editor to watch the dailies. Yeah. Because okay. you're trying to get, you're trying to continue to keep that train moving, right? Yeah. Will you meet with uh, Tootie uh, about the promo and just what would be yeah, effective course, about it? There sure. you go. Man, sure. we got a lot about it. Yeah, but you got to get, you got to get a promo made because then, yeah, you know why? Because when you want to show someone something, yeah. no one wants to see a shot of it daily. I, right. I mean, I will, of course, and I, yeah, yeah. and it was my pleasure. Well, you were forced. People want to see a ninety-second <laughs> promo. That's yeah. Smart. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. You don't have to wait for the film to be finished to get a promo. Yeah. Made. Hang on. We'll get back. We're going to come back to this. This (laughs) was great. We've got a lot of great commitments and a lot of great things to come back to and to look at. And it's very exciting. I want let's talk about my movies. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great idea. What are you you most proud of? What what is, so we have a film coming out. It's being finished right now that I am incredibly proud of. And you exec produced it as well. Exec produced it. We sold it. Uh, we crushed it. I can't announce who yet, but we have a studio on board for international and a great, distributor, really, really prominent distributor domestically. And it's Brittany Snow, Sam Richardson, Jordana Brewster, Vivica Snow. Fox. She was just here. Had really? Extra. Yeah, She's literally. great. She's yeah. great. And the, the film is currently titled Bailey and Darla. We may change the title, um, but it's great. And it's about uh, ba- Brittany Snow plays this hilarious, smart, young, sassy woman who's a sex addict. And she befriends Sam Richardson, who has testicular cancer. It's kind of a down on his luck. And she takes him on a road trip across America, screwing in all these places she's had yeah. sex so she can write a great story for a magazine she works for. Mm. So it's, it's funny. It's, got, it's, it's comedy. comedy, but yeah. it has heart, has a little bit of drama. But it, in, 
at its core, it's just a great comedy. And that they're great. great. They are hilarious. I'm a, yeah. That's a great cast, by the way. Yeah. Great cast. Uh, great new director. But that, but that film came about in a way that you can't replicate. You know, Brittany had the script, knew the director, right. wanted to do it. I worked with the producers that put the financing together. I pre-sold part of the film to try to finish. and. Uh, Was it easy to pre-sell? Um, I pre-sold domestic. Yeah. Oh, okay. Got it. I pre-sold domestic to, to help finance the and film. And you can't yeah. say what studio it is domestic? Not yet. No, right. not yet. Yeah. Um, and that's our new, that's, that's in post. Uh, we have another film in post called Stage Mother. And I also exec produced this one, Jackie Weaver, Lucy Liu, and Adrian Grenier. And incredibly excited about comedy? it. It's a comedy, again, comedy with heart. And it's about a very conservative Texas uh, choir singing woman, Jackie Weaver, who gets a phone call, you know, after church choir practice that her son has unfortunately passed away. And her son was a drag queen in San Francisco who they had disowned. So she has to defy her husband's wishes, get on a plane to San Francisco to take care of the affairs, discover she's inherited the drag club. Oh, wow. It's fantastic. Dude, that's amazing. Hey, by the way, you you should take notes. That's some good pitching, right? That was amazing pitching. This is a guy who's got some experience. Yeah. So when I go to film market, (laughs) picture this. (laughs) That's what you do. So they're about... They're about ten days, and our and our days run from about nine a.m. to six thirty, and our booth or office wherever we are, and we're pretty much pitching from about nine a.m. to six. Then every time you have to run to the bathroom, you usually run into someone along the way. So then you try and slip in a pitch. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> on yeah. the way, you get sick of your own voice after a while. Did yeah. you ever pitch anyone or get pitched at a urinal? Uh, sure. <laughs> I just pitched. It's so funny. I was trying to find the the head programmer, the head of Toronto Film Festival. And he's a great guy. Uh, and I emailed him before Can and said, hey, let's just connect, have a coffee. I want to tell you about Stage Mother because mm-hmm. it's a Canadian film. Mm. And the filmmaker's been in Toronto Film Festival before. So I wanted to make sure it was on the radar. And I couldn't, could, he didn't respond. It was right before Can, And I saw him in the bathroom of a really nice hotel in Cannes where, he, where a lot's going on. And I saw him in the restroom. He has his tuxedo on, and he's uh, washing his hands. And I, I said, "Hey, you know, try to <laughs> awesome. try to. Uh, I think you, I, you know. Do, I'm man. not sure if you got my email, <laughs> but we got you know, we got uh, Tom's talk, new film. And, and I just did. I did the stage mother pitch in like 15 seconds, and made sure he like absorbed it before he left. And um, he did. And it was great. Yeah, then then he responded to the email after Can. Right. And we go. connected, you know, because submitting to a film festival at that, you know, Toronto, Berlin, Can, Sundance, Tribeca, you can't get big. I mean, Venice, I mean, they're the these are these festivals could change your life. Palm Springs. They don't always Palm Springs won't change your life. <laughs> Come on. Cuz all the I'm sorry, but most but all the big films they have in Palm Springs were usually in the other big ones. Right. But minus mine. Minus yours. Great festival, but I mean, the, the festivals where film can break out. Yeah. Toronto, Sundance. Berlin, Cannes, Sundance, Tribeca. Yeah. Um, Toronto is, is really important. They show a lot of films festival. in Toronto. A lot, so, right. So if your film's in the festival, it doesn't mean anything. Right. But if your film's not in the festival... Then it means less. It means less. <laughs> yeah. But if your film's in the festival, right. there is a chance. Right. And especially because of the of 
where the film was made and it is Canadian and it's very timely and the themes are so timely and it's presented in a, in a humorous way with heart. It's so perfect for the festival. And to just blindly submit a film to a festival that large, you're going to get lost. You don't know who's you going to see it. You have to find someone. So yeah. I wanted to make sure that he just had it on his radar. I think, so, I think this is a, that's awesome that you did that. Yes, yeah, I pitched it to him he, in the men's bathroom of the Majestic Hotel that's awesome. in That's Camp. a great story. My yeah. advice when I, when I was teaching the class at UCLA, at the beginning of every class, we talked about everyone's networking accomplishments that last week. And I tried to focus that focus on the fact that nothing was more important in their career than networking. And it's not easy for everyone, especially depending on your age and, you know, what opportunities you have. You know, are you, do you have the money to go join the Soho house? Not everyone does, right? But yeah. is that one of the best places to go network and schmooze with? Yeah, it probably is. Not everyone has the money to get themselves to Cannes and to Toronto. Um, but... There's there are other ways to network that don't necessarily cost an enormous amount of money. If you're not in L.A. or New York, it's going to be tougher. Yeah. But you have to ask yourself how much you want this. And if you want it a lot and this is the profession that you want, you have to invest in it both in time and money. Yeah. You know, and take that, some risks. Does that mean moving to Los Angeles? Yes. And, yeah. and joining organizations, Film Independent and the International Documentary Association and there's, you know, not every event costs a lot of money. We would, because of this class, the students start looking up other opportunities that were more cost effective. And Netflix was hosting screenings of their shows and movies that a lot of times were free. Mm. And you could go to the Netflix screening. AFI does events. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but networking and just, just getting yourself into the industry. If you're in L.A., there's so many events and organizations you can join to, to get yourself kind of into the community. I've been Film there. Independent, yeah. I think, is less than $100 a year, and yeah. the amount of screenings and Q&As and networking events are, is incredible. Yeah. Dude, this was an amazing amount. I think you're going to have to Is this your back. best podcast? In terms of information for filmmakers, this was really a yeah. deep conversation about what you should be doing to help convince your investor and also making a good movie so that you can get the money back and maybe do it again. And also in the process, meet a bunch of important people and get your film to the right uh, places. Yeah, or even if you don't make it, to, to write the script, do a, night, a, good, a good pitch deck, have your pitch down, and then go to like an AFM. And, and Absolutely. And you know if nothing I mean? else, you're going to see how the industry works. Yeah. And you're going to see what the posters look like and, and how how people in industry executives don't interact. be afraid to call Clay, yeah. you know, don't call be afraid Clay. to call me, call Clay. <laughs> <laughs> we are, we are, we are on, on we are on Facebook. We do oh, have a Facebook. Okay. I would invite everyone to join the Facebook, the Facebook page. Facebook. He said the Facebook, the, the Facebook, the Facebook. although it was the Facebook originally, right? <laughs> Facebook. When yeah, it was he the first Facebook. started it. You don't have the Instagram. I have the Instagram with about <laughs> three people following it. <laughs> hey, um, I want to end with, I'm Back doing a movie with Mario Lopez called Feliz Navidad. I'm in. <laughs> you know what? That's all pretty much how my life goes yeah. all the time. I'm, I'm sad that we haven't worked together. I am. Every time that you pay for lunch at the Polo Lounge, yeah. I leave thinking how much I want to work with you. Is there a place for uh, a Christmas movie with a yes, little flavor Yes, there is overseas? actually. Not only is there a place for Christmas movies, but there's an actual specific need Christmas movies in international territory. Really? So I would love to be involved in that. All right, well, I'm going to get back to you. We're making a deal domestically, which I'm going to leave you out of. 
And then Can I still I, get a fee on it? No, you can't. You can't collect on it. How do you, how do you did you just hear any about the podcast? Domestic and porn are the same. Can't do it. Cohesiveness. Cohesiveness. You're not being cohesive here, Robert. I know. I'm going to keep domestic. But I'll come back to you about foreign. <laughs> right? And this is, this yeah. is what I'm dealing with. And, <laughs> but, you, but look, you're a great guy. I'm very proud of you. You've done amazing you. stuff. You have a beautiful family. Thank you. And uh, it's always fun to hang out with you and to talk about movies with you and to talk about how we can make movies together. Thank you for Action. listening. We'll see you next time. Well, thank Let's you very get much. Into Thanks, for having Thanks me. a lot, Robert. That was a ton of fun, guys. That must have been an hour and a half. Was that an hour? Uh, hour 20.